All right, welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson. And tonight, I'm here with a few of our regulars. First of all, sitting at my side is the lovely Zilpha. Hello. And um, way back in Zion is the lovely Tom. <laughs> lovely? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hey, you, you're looking good from here too, John. Thanks. Yeah, hey, how's Thanks, it going, brother. guys? And we also have the uh, one and only controversial Mike from Las Vegas. How are you doing, Mike? Hello. And we also have our new friend uh, Glenn Ostland in Japan. How are you, Glenn? Uh, I'm good. I, I, I notice I'm always Glenn Ostland. My, my sister says, you know, they always say your last name when you're on. I always I, say I could be just Glenn. I always say my last name. Do you do you want it or not? Okay. Uh, it's fine. I, I I just want to get to a point where you tell me I'm looking good sitting here. <laughs> don't try to take that spot i earned that okay all right all right um yeah all right so uh so tonight uh we are doing um kind of the second half of a discussion that glenn started with um dr benite on the the 10 tribes in that uh recording which we'll be posting at the same time of this one um Dr. Benite covers a lot of the um, foundation and history of the mythos behind the Lost Ten Tribes, both from uh, a Mormon point of view, which he touches on, and um, you know throughout its entire history. Fascinating, a fascinating book, which I had the pleasure to read. Glenn, offhand, do you remember what the title of the book is? It's just The Lost Ten Tribes, isn't it? It's The Ten Lost Tribes Oh, yes. of World History. Uh, I recommend everybody uh, pick it up. We'll have a link to it on the on the the website uh we want to do the second half of the interview to kind of dig a little bit deeper um down into the mormon view of the lost 10 tribes and uh sort of what mormons believe and what they don't believe and what's in between so um let's get started first of all and uh kind of take a look at well what do mormons believe about the lost 10 tribes um glenn you, you this is kind of up your up your alley. You want to start us out? Well, I, I mean, I can talk about when when I was growing up. I, I was one of those guys that was always interested in the mysteries of the church. You know, like those kind of hidden occult things. I wanted to figure out. And I'd, I'd sit in in meetings and listen to prayers and go into the temple and trying to put all these pieces together. What it meant. And the lost tribes was absolutely one of these. Uh, occult kind of things, you know, they're, they're this lost group of people and they're supposed to come back. And, uh, I, I, you know, one of, one of the sources of information and the, these mysteries for me was uh, McConkie's Mormon doctrine. And so I'd turn to Lost Tribes and I'd, I'd study everything that was in there. And uh, what, what uh, James E. Talmadge gave this prophecy in 1916 that said that the Lost Tribes are going to return Exactly as it's prophesied in the new, or in the uh, uh, the DNC, where you know they come from the north and they break down the ice and a highway comes up and and that when they come back they'll bring these treasures with them and and these treasures will be the records that uh, are similar to the Nephite record you know similar to the golden plates that talk about Christ's visit among their people during the meridian of time and you know the book of mormon has this reference that says now i'm going to go to the talk to the lost tribes and so we're going to get to to hear that story so in 1916 talmadge says this in a, a general conference to everybody and he says and you know I, I i testify that there are those present in this congregation who will live to read the words that the lost tribes bring back with them man that, they always that regret me. saying stuff like that yeah, they don't make that mistake anymore. <laughs> they don't. They, they don't do that anymore. But that was exciting, you know. So, so as a kid, I'd get in there, and and I would, I, you know, I I, I was a amateur uh, ethnologist where, um, you know, I, I would I would try and look at the different customs of different places around the world to see, oh, maybe, you know, maybe maybe what they're doing is similar to the lost tribes that could be the lost tribes and, and you know growing up when when i did which you know i think most of most of us are about the same age when you've got uh, russia as this big scary thing in the reagan era and then all of a sudden the wall comes down and missionaries start going in and i think missionaries started going in maybe the year or so before i got my mission call and i thought yeah that would be cool because the the russians they're, they're going to be the lost tribes because that's that's the north <laughs> the north and, country uh, yeah 
And then I got my mission call to Japan and uh, was a little bit disappointed. I, I should probably also say that my, my patriarchal blessing has a line that says, get to know your brethren of the other tribes, for in due time you'll come to learn of them and to work with their culture. And so, you know, I, I was set up. I was, oh, so was going to be a, a star. Teach What's the that? lost tribes, and and when you talk to Cabo, Cabo or Cabo, Cabo, yeah, on your in your interview, and he was mentioning how he has a belief that the ten that some of the lost tribes at least are in Japan. Yeah, there's a th th there are groups of people, not just Mormons, that share that belief, and that was something uh, when I started studying folklore, uh, I started getting interested in all of these things that I heard when I was a missionary, you know, and I first heard it when I was in, in the MTC, they, they said, um, you know, I, I had a teacher who was Japanese and she drew a Tory gate on the chalkboard and the Tory gate, I don't know how to describe it. It's the, the, the two pillars and then the, the kind of upturned ends on the top. And it's usually red and you see them in front of a, a Shinto shrine. Yeah. And she told us that this Tory gate is a clue and, and the reason that it's red, they're always red, she said they're not, but they're, they're always red, she said, because it's a remembrance of the blood that the Israelites painted on the side posts and the mantelpiece during the Passover. You, know, oh. you, you remember that story of the Passover where they, they slaughtered a lamb and they put the, the blood on the, the door and on the top so that the... Uh, uh, the, the the smoke monster from Lost. <laughs> it seems <laughs> couldn't, to couldn't <laughs> it seems to me that whenever there's a a new group that kind of comes into the fold of um of Christianity, there's an effort made to include them in the narrative of the of the Bible because yeah, um I think if you went to um like the islands, they would have similar kind of stories of them being either part of the lost tribes or at least Israelites. I mean, everybody wants to fit into this story. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right on. Yeah, you know, I, I served my mission among Southeast Asians and the same sort of myths and and different things appeared there. And there were missionaries who would dig through old, you know, Buddhist texts and try to make draw a line between that and and Christianity. And there was a a, a tribe from the the hills of Laos and Vietnam called the Hmong, and um, mm -hmm. they had some symbology dealing with the, their own zodiac, which of course, you know, the year has twelve months. So that of course was proof that they believed they were from the twelve tribes and and you know and stuff <laughs> like that. So I think that yeah. sort of drawing whatever people you want to to and then searching for the little pieces of um, things that might be evidence. Yeah, I mean, any any culture is so big. That if you put two cultures next to each other, say the Hebrews and the Maya, you're gonna, you're going to find similarities. But the, I think that goes for any two cultures. That there's only, you know, we we share a lot of the same common experiences, like the same calendar and the same genetics. So we have similar ways of being and interpreting yeah. the world. Hey, hey, Glenn, when you mentioned that uh, in your patriarchal blessing talks about the ten or the lost tribes or or whatever, yeah, I think mine. Only mentions that I'm from Ephraim. That's about it. You know, and the funny thing there is Ephraim is is the lost ten tribes, right? Or you know, um, yeah. the the North Kingdom was referred to as, as Ephraim during during the time. But although all Mormons generally are of the tribe of Ephraim or 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 Manasseh on their in their patriarchal blessings, Tom, I, they, I never hear the the LDS people refer to themselves as the lost ten tribes. The lost ten tribes are an other. Is, is So is Ephraim and Manasseh, are those the two that are not lost? Is that what it no. is? No, the two that aren't lost are Judah and Dan. Okay. So Is it Judah and Dan or Judah and Benjamin? Oh, Judah. I, I, I hear Benjamin. it two ways. Well, and I have to tip my hand. I mean, I, I, I believe it's mostly a, a mythological... Uh, you know, there there was the, there was it, there was the North Kingdom. It was clear, and just like um, Doctor right. Benite talks about, they were sacked and there were people carried off. But it's clear from archaeological evidence they weren't all carried off, and the the tribes probably more were uh, a myth to explain the geopolitical breakdown of 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 the area as opposed to like real living people. Like there there most likely wasn't a Dan and a Benjamin and, and these 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 guys who well, sang in that musical. There there probably <laughs> were. But by the time the the north, uh, I mean the Assyrians came and sacked the 
the ten tribes, it wasn't going to be clear distinctions between the groups. I mean, they all would have intermarried, and it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me that they would have been all these ten distinct tribes. I I don't know if if they would have intermarried, I think we would have seen another flood. <laughs> <laughs> another Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Okay. So the yeah. the the mythos that uh, Doctor Benite um, talks about is that, uh, and, and of course we've all counted in the, in the scriptures is the Babylonian captivity. Um, well, uh, is Babylonian captivity only refers to the kingdom of Judah, but earlier in what, what year was it? 700 or somewhere around there. Um, yeah. 721 is usually when, when, when they're said to have been carried away the, the 10 lost tribes. So the North kingdom is sacked. The people are all carried away into, into Assyria. And then somehow, which I'm not always clear on the, the 10 tribes repent um, and become righteous, and together as a group, they wander off into the north countries and cross the mythical river and are lost from historical time and space. Yeah, um, Parley, I mean, Orson Pratt, here's a quote from him talking about that. Um, when he talks about the highway coming up, and then they come back, and he said, But where have this great company been? Where has this mighty host come from? They have come from their hiding place in the north country. They have been led thence by the prophets of the Most High God, the Lord going before their camp, talking with them out of the cloud as he talked in ancient days with the camp of Israel, uttering his voice before his army, for his camp will be very great. So his interpretation is kind of the... Well, what Dr. Benite, he talked about the reverse exile. Yeah. Is that kind of the... Well, you know, I mean, even as a kid, when I would idea. read stuff like this, I, I would think if if they're lost and we don't know anything about them, who, how did we find out that they took this journey? You know, I mean, how do we know that they repented and they went off as, as a group? Where's that information coming from? And uh, I, I kind of posed that question to to uh, Dr. Benite. And it, basically, you know, you've you've got the, the North Kingdom that was carried off in 721 BC, but you still had, you know, the, these, the Southern kingdom of Judah that were, you know, kept the tradition and the memory alive of, you know, their brethren who had been taken away and they'd been lost. And th this is when you have Isaiah and uh, th these other prophets prophesying that the tribes will return, but they weren't thinking of like in the end days millennial return they were thinking you know yeah they're going to come back and we're going to be together as a people again you know there's this power in in loss and reunification um but but then what ended up happening is that babylon came in and sacked judah and, and carried judah away and that's when you have all of the stories about you know meshach and the bendigo and daniel and the lion's den whatever they're in babylonian captivity then that southern kingdom is is released from Babylonian captivity, and there had been a popular knowledge that when they returned to the land of Jerusalem, they would return intact as a whole with their brethren of, of the other ten tribes. And so when that didn't happen, when it was just the southern kingdom that returned, that they were left with this question, you know, why, why was this prophecy not fulfilled? Why have these uh, tribes not returned? And so at some point... There was a, a prophet named Esdras who, or I, I guess what, what Dr. Benite said, we're not really sure what this person's name was, but he was writing as if he was Esdras, as if it was 400 years ago, and he was telling the story of, uh, you know, what happened to the Lost Tribes, that they repented, and then they took this journey of a year and a half, and they crossed a, uh, a river that, that God stopped the flood, you know, the way that he split the, the Red Sea for Moses and, you know, so many other times he does this in, in the Bible. And and so this this book of Second Edrist, which now is considered an apocryphal book, it's not part of the canon of the Old Testament, it tells the story or it hints at the, the migration of the lost tribes into the lands of the north. But it was, it was a way of... Uh, that the southern kingdom of Judah to reconcile their uh, lack of fulfillment for that prophecy, uh, and and from then you know so that Doctor Benai talks about two losses. You know the first loss of the tribes was when Assyria took them over, and the second loss of the tribes is when they didn't come back when they were supposed to. And so now where are they? 
And that's that's really when a lot of the um, the mythos started growing up around them and when their return would be and what that actually would mean. And th there are whole sections of, of the book, if you get the book and read it, um, that, that you can see in the Middle Ages, guys like Prester John, um, who who is supposed to be a king of of the tribes or has dealings with the tribes that and, you know comes back and has all of these records that the tribes are out there and they're interacting with people and they're at the edge of the world and they're protecting the world from all of the disasters that are you know right at our doorstep and and, and all of this kind of romantic um, folklore and mythology attached itself to this tribe story and people other than the Jews started. Uh, adopting it into their overall narrative, and that—that's where you know, in in, in the Christian um, mythology, it becomes really important. And I think for 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 Mormons, and and getting back to one of the earlier questions about uh, uh, Ephraim being the lost tribes, th there was a, a a guy George Reynolds who wrote a book called We Are of Israel, and he describes this apocryphal journey of Edris's group as they're going up north, and he supposes, you know, he, he extrapolates from what he knows of the Book of Mormon that there are rebellious brothers, Laman and Lemuel, that there must also have been their counterparts, these rebellious people of the Lost Tribes. And who is more likely to be rebellious than the proud tribe of Ephraim? So as they're taking their journey north, and, and they're generally considered at some place in the North Pole, as as they're making their journey north, the rebellious Ephraim must have backslided and mingled in with the indigenous peoples of northern Europe and and the British Isles. And that's why you have so much blood of Israel in the church because of the influx of um, converts from from England and from Europe, all being told that they're from Ephraim. So they did have a a very literal belief that they were um, lost tribes, but they, they weren't the lost tribes, you know, they, they were just Ephraim. And there's this blessing that uh, Jacob gives to all of his sons and gives a, a blessing to Ephraim about this vine that spread over a wall, and I've never understood it, but it's always been used uh, to uh, define Ephraim's role in the gathering process. So Ephraim's the leader, and Ephraim's the one that's charged with getting the rest of the tribes together and and finally bringing this restoration after, you know, all these thousands of years of, of being apart. And there'll be the the new Jerusalem um, and, and the Zion, uh, you know, the, the spiritual center in, uh, in, in the old world and the uh, political center in you know Jackson County Missouri and in, in Zion well that's, so that, that's how that's how it fit for the early church members I've been talking a lot well <laughs> and and um, for them it was very literal I mean I, I know of several instances yeah. where Heber Kimball taught about the uh, people of England being of a more pure almost a racist teaching being of a more pure blood in that connection and Brigham Young actually said at one time I think it's in the journal of discourse volume two if I remember right Brigham Young said that um, Joseph Smith was of the pure blood of Ephraim, that that um, so he could trace himself all the way back. So uh, yeah, that that was prevalent. Um, so when when we talk about um, let let's you get, talk about where they are. Well, let let's go into what the climate, what the beliefs were when Joseph Smith. Well, before we go there, let's. I want to I want to take and level set and go back to what. The Mormons necessarily believe about the twelve tribes. So let's let's go back and look right at now, the, yeah. or starting from the beginning of Mormonism. From I, I want to go back to the um, go back to the Book of Mormon. Um, so so you know one thing in all this mythology is that the debate goes on as to whether they're literal or they are um, figurative, whether whether they've spread in and just intermixed with the local peoples or whether they're, they are literal people. And you talked about sort of the Laman and Lemuel mythology. Interesting what the Book of Mormon has to say about it, because it, it names them as a distinctive group um, in several passages. Um, uh, and I know in the Book of Mormon, after Jesus returns, um, and they riff on the passage in the New Testament that talks about um, other 
sheep I have, which most Christians would interpret to mean the Gentiles, but the Mormons have said that refers to the Book of Mormon people. Um, uh, but like in Third Nephi 17.4, Jesus says, But now I go unto the Father, and also to show myself unto the lost tribes of Israel, for they are not lost unto the Father, for he knoweth whither he hath taken them. And Third Nephi twenty one twenty six, and then shall the work of the Father commence at that day, even when the gospel shall be preached among the remnant of this people. Verily I say unto you, at that day shall the work of the Father commence among all the dispersed of my people, yea, even the tribes which have been lost, which the Father hath led away out of Jerusalem. So, I, I, and of course, you know, Christ saying that he's he's visited these people. Now he's going to go visit the the other the other tribes, and that they each have a record. The, the record of the the Book of Mormonish people, but there is a record of the Ten Tribes people that they're going to get. And the Doctrine and Covenants makes clear that John the, the Baptist, not John the Baptist, John the Revelator, is among them. And if we read in D&C 77, um, 9, what are we to understand by the angel ascending from the East, Revelation 7, chapter and second verse? We are to understand that the angel ascended from the East to who... From the east is he to whom is given the seal of the living God over the twelve tribes of Israel. Wherefore he crieth unto the four angels, having the everlasting gospel, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. And if you receive it, this is Elias, which was to come together the tribes of Israel and restore all things. And verse 11, what are we to understand by sealing the 144,000 out of all the tribes of Israel? We are to understand that those who are sealed are high priests ordained unto the Holy God to minister the, key, the everlasting gospel, for they are who ordained, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then verse 14, this is the more interesting one. What do we understand by the little book which was eaten by John? Um, mentioned the 10th chapter of Revelation. We are to understand there was the mission and an ordinance for him to gather all the tribes of Israel. Behold, this is Elias who has written, must come and restore all things. So um, I think it's clear that the from Mormon... Theology, Mormon scriptures, that the 12 tribes or the 10 tribes are distinct people, that Jesus visited them, and that John the Revelator is among them. Oh, and one more thing in, in the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, it says the Book of Mormon prophets affirmed that the Lord had not forgotten the 10 tribes and that they are keeping records that will yet be revealed. That was in 2 Nephi 29, 12, 14. So they've got all kinds of records too. So. So, so that that yeah. that's the scriptures. Can we get into the the fun stuff now? So yeah, the next question is of course <laughs> is, is of course where Mike where are you, are you going to sit down and let her say that? <laughs> so so Mike uh, Mike go ahead. Uh, you you've been quiet. Where are the where are the uh, 10 tribes? Well, they're they're scattered all about. I mean, I I don't think they're in one place. I I think oh. Well, let's uh well, should should we break down what the theories are? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Benite talked about that a little bit. I know, and he says there's there's one where they're still lost, like they could be in the lost city of Atlantis or under the water or near the core of the earth or stuff like that. I've heard lots of those. Um, and the other one that like Mike was talking about, they're here. They're not technically lost, lost like in a certain location. They're just spread amongst us. And and then of course the other one is that the ten tribes is is just a farce anyway. Well, and then there's another one. Um, this is from James e, James E. Talmadge in his Articles of Faith book. He says while many of those belonging to the ten tribes were diffused among the nations, a significant number to justify the retention of the original name were led away as a body and are now in existence someplace where the Lord has hidden them. So that's like a mixture where yeah, they're they're spread out amongst the nations, but there is still some portion of them that are going to return in a group to to fulfill these prophecies. Yeah, they they and have I, to. And I've heard, and I I think even Glenn, you mentioned in your in your uh, discussion with Doctor Benite that even they could be on different worlds because I've heard those those theories yeah. from Mormons too on different worlds, like in outer space or yeah. Yeah, jo Joseph whatever. would point up to the sky and say, you know, you see that. That star, that's the North Star, and if you go down, you know, to, to that star there, that's the Lost Tribes, and and when they come back, there's going to be this huge collision, and you know, the Earth will reel to and fro like a drunken man. <laughs> yeah, a portion <laughs> these, of the, a portion of so the Mike, Earth was. Mike, you don't believe off. that the uh, 
that, that <clears throat> there is going to be a literal return of the Lost Tribes? Well, yeah, there will be, but um, let's look at uh, Doctrine and Covenants 133, uh, what verse 26 through 29. It says, And there are they who are in the north country shall come in remembrance before the Lord, and their prophet shall hear his voice, and shall no longer stay themselves, and they shall smite the rocks, and I shall flow down at their presence, and a highway shall be cast up in the midst of the great deep, uh, and their enemies shall become prey unto them. Um, <laughs> Isaiah's using figurative language here like he likes to do so much, like you said, with the branches and the trees and things. But uh, if you look in Isaiah 35, he says something similar, and you get a better idea of what he's saying. He says, uh, Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for the wilderness shall... For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert, and the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. Uh, let's skip okay, ahead. so 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 Mike, what what what's just summarize? What, what's your take? What's your what's your opinion? <laughs> well, what 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 doctrine's going to come forth that gives these lost people their identity? They're going to come to an understanding of, of the doctrines of Christ, and the, and they're going to understand who they are as a people, and then they can return. And claim their heritage and birthright, but so you, you know think, they, they go out and get dispersed, and they're all over the place. Well, you, you think it'll be a dribbling, right now, right? a dribbling return instead of an en masse return? Well, there will eventually be a mass return. We're in the middle of a dribbling return right now when our missionaries go out and they're gathering scattered Israel in. So there'll be a great return, but we're we're in an early stage right now. Mike, you don't believe that there's like this place on the earth where the, all the tribes are together currently living. No, that's the point I was trying to make. This highway cut in the deep, liberal, is Isaiah's <laughs> language is 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 going to be a flow a flow of revelation and doctrine that gives these people back their identity. It's not a literal earth opening up and there's this great highway and they're going to come marching up the highway up the road or something. So it's so so my, you're kind of a cafeteria Mormon, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not a cafeteria Mormon. Well, so so what saying, do you think? What do you think of Mike? What do you, what do you think about the other theory that? You know that there's some city under underneath the ocean somewhere where all these tribes are. You think that's hocus pocus or what? I, I think that's bogus. So what do you what do you think about Talmadge prophesying in 1916 that they're going in general conference that they're going to return and they're going to bring the records with them and that there are people there in that congregation who will read them with their own eyes? Well, I, I think we will, we are going to get a lot more scripture coming out. I mean, but I don't think it's like they're all down in some basement somewhere with their library and, hey, come look at my library. Okay, I think so, when they come gathering in, we're going to get more scripture of what happened to these people. So normally we beat Mike up for believing weird things, and now now we're beating him up for not believing weird things? Yeah, come <laughs> on, Mike. <laughs> come on, Mike. With the program. Okay, so let's – so I, I happen to know somebody, um, Zilpha, your father. Oh, yeah. He believes that the Lost Tribes are in the middle of the earth. The center the, the, of the earth. The earth is hollow, and he has shown me maps, and um, you can search this on the web. There's actually quite a few people, both inside and outside Mormonism, who believe this. Oh, yeah. Um, and a lot of them believe there's a hole in the North Pole where they will come marching out. Um, oh. now, now, Glenn, didn't you send me a link earlier today? I'm, I'm staring at it right now. It's voyagehollowearth.com. For a mere $20,000. Yeah. <laughs> what? You can join this, and if I read the website right, it sounds like the guy who was forming it passed away, unfortunately. <laughs> it, it, they charged twenty thousand dollars to join their coalition. Well, they they had well, to rent a Russian it, it's icebreaker. Be, it's between eighteen oh, thousand nine hundred fifty to twenty thousand nine hundred fifty. So there's it, it depends on what kind of meals you want to eat on this on the ship, I guess. Yeah, oh. but the the, the point the is, entertainment. they believe it literally <laughs> that the, the twelve tribes are at the at the the in the North Pole, and I actually posted. On um, the Mormon apologetic site, thanks guys, about two weeks ago, a little poll where I asked them where the 10 tribes are. Um, and the breakdown was 7% said they are together in the north on the earth. Um, and some of the people who respond to that talked about global warming is actually going to loosen these guys up and then they're going to be able yep. to come marching out. Well, they're frozen. Like Godzilla. Yeah, 12% <laughs> that said they're together on the earth in an unknown place. So, um, and, and Glenn, you mentioned this, this earlier, when I was a kid growing up in the seventies and eighties, it was easy to place them behind the iron curtain. Cause that was mysterious to us that we all believed that once the, um, the iron curtain fell and the missionaries went into the, the, the Soviet bloc, that then we would find 
the, the, the ten tribes where John was John was among them. So you guys yeah. would agree that that was like the popular teaching for for you guys growing up. Yeah, you talk about for, for me like, it was, and and the, yeah. the most exciting thing was that they've got a city called Samarkand, which is sounds like Samaria, oh. which was the capital city of the the lost tribe. So it, it it's also something that the Japanese use for samurai to, <laughs> to say yeah they're they're connected there. But yeah, I, I thought I thought that. Uh, Russia was going to be it. Well, you know, I guess because I grew up. The walls coming down was prophecy being fulfilled. Absolutely. I grew up with the hollow earth, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. So, or, or perhaps the other planet somewhere in I, the. I, I grew up with the uh, under the ocean, like the city of Atlantis, and uh, they would all just come up out, you know, on some beach somewhere. On the highway from the, the Sea of the Deep. Now, yeah, in, in my little unscientific poll, I only had one person who said they are together in a separate place from the Earth. Wow. But I want to explore that idea a little bit more because this one, um, actually, of all of them, has the most traction um, for, for legitimate Mormon doctrine. Um, now, if we understand Mormon doctrine, the, we, we know about the city of Enoch. That they tell, we talked about that in the Pearl Great Prize, where there was this land mass, and the people were so righteous that it was removed from the Earth. So there's precedence for people being removed from the earth. It happened right after they passed their health care bill, I think. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, there, there was even a hymn written by um, Eliza R. Snow. It was in the hymn book until 1905, I think. Yes, I think so. Um, and she talks about how the earth was once a great big, huge, huge sphere. The Pangea. Yeah. No, the, well, the no, earth the was earth bigger. The earth itself was bigger. And then... Um, it had been torn asunder piece by piece. Um, when Enoch could no longer stay amid corruption here, part of thyself, the earth, was bone away to form another sphere. So, so when Enoch was taken away, it was actually a portion of the earth um, taken into outer space. And then, when, and when the Lord saw fit to hide the ten lost tribes away, thou earth wast severed to provide the orb on which they stay. And she compares it to, um, she says, so, you know, the earth is sacrificing itself, like, kind of like Christ. The real question is, is was that a good tune or not? I, I, I couldn't find the music for it. We I was disappointed. No. Oh. So, so the... I, I'd have to order that hymn book, which I haven't done yet. <laughs> and so but... they're saying that, that part of the tribes of Israel were taken away like the city of Enoch? Yeah. Yeah, so the planet was actually separated the, 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 out of the north. And what the teaching is now? Now let's let's go back. There's another teaching that a lot of people um, in the church believe, and that's that the Earth was physically separated away from the Colobian orbit when it fell in, into its mortality. That the Earth spun around the um, Colob with uh, whatever planet God is on, while Adam and Eve were in the garden. That's when it was in its celestial state, and it was removed to this um, um, t terrestrial state. And at the end the earth will be slid back into place. And uh, then it, these pieces will kind of join up, and, and supposedly Joseph Smith described it as, um, say they're both moving, one's just moving just slightly faster than the other one, so when they kind of run into each other, they kind of slide into place, um, and, and so, that, so that it's not like going to break the whole earth apart, but they'll just kind of slide into place. Okay, okay. And Mike... <laughs> yes, go ahead. Before before I just start busting up, do you do you buy much of that, bro? I mean, I I, I just got to know see before the, I just start laughing. I guess I don't see the Earth going back over to go into orbit a celestial orbit. I I don't see the gospel plan working like that. I can understand God moving and organizing the chaotic matter to form worlds like the one we live on, and we just perfect it here. I don't. It doesn't make sense to me for us to travel back to where God lives. So I you're see saying us being that celestialized where we are. So you don't think you're any pieces that it's fracking crazy broke off of the earth? <laughs> it just it, it doesn't make doctrinal sense for us to have a big celestial orbit around where God lives. Well, I see us, I see God organizing as he expands. Well put put that part away. What about the pieces of earth with the with the tribes on them? Getting, well, we know Enoch the city, city of Enoch was taken up. The okay, city so that was, was the physical, but they're not saying translated. They're saying it was broken off, taken into outer space, and they live there now, and it will return, and they will they will live back on Earth again. 
Well, see, now you're getting into where do translated beings live, like all the translated beings that came and saw Christ at the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't know where they are. Maybe they travel like angels travel and they zap up but to the where God But the last ten tribes from. weren't translated. Well, so we don't how know did what they happens. breathe in outer Maybe. space, according to this theory? Well, for suppose? all we know, a portion of them were righteous and were taken. We don't know what happened to them. But it sounds like Joseph Smith implying that a portion of them became very righteous like Enoch and were translated. But I don't know. I've never heard that before. There's a, there's a, a report, some guy named O.B. Huntington, that had this manuscript that Joseph Smith had drawn for him that showed the earth with two wings, kind of like two semicircles, uh, next to each other that gave the appearance of having these polar elongations. I mean, I, I'm trying to imagine it if it was like a uh, a circle splitting out of itself, kind of like an hourglass shape. And he he described it as as one dimension to another. That it's not like a physical difference; it's some dimensional difference. Um, and, and so I've I've heard oftentimes. Oh, they could be in another dimension, and that might speak, Mike, oh, to yeah. your question about where the translated beings live. Or well, you know, always wonder. That... I'm sorry. Yeah. You always wonder, like when Moroni appeared in Joseph's room, it's like he stepped through a doorway. So now you're getting into how do angels travel, and is this the way that Enoch and his city travel to wherever they are now? Yeah. You know how how do angels move about? How do they <clears> suddenly <throat> appear in a closed room, like when? The Savior in his resurrected form just walked into the room where the apostles were. You know, how does that, how does that travel take place? And I think that's what you're – maybe Joseph was trying to draw a picture of how they do it. I don't know. I, I had a fantastic seminary teacher in high school who told me how he thought that some of this travel took place. He, he, he was from St. George, and he used to uh, go with his family. They'd drive from St. George up to Salt Lake for a conference twice a year, and – uh, a couple of times, he noticed in the sky a UFO, and he <laughs> saw it coming up out of the mountains as they were leaving uh, St. George, and it was a, it was a, a spaceship, and, and he was surprised to see it coming out of the mountains uh, instead of coming like down out of the sky. And then when when they got back from from General Conference, it was landing in the mountains again, and so. <laughs> He thought, and, and you know, th this wasn't something he was teaching the whole class. This was something he was telling me kind of in private afterwards because I expressed an interest in lost tribes and he opened up his <laughs> crazies for me. But, but, you know, suggested, I think it tied to this hollow earth theory that, that he, he told me that he believed that he thought that the lost tribes were in the earth, but that they had not gone through an apostasy like we had gone through an apostasy. And so they didn't have all of the the wars and destruction that we've had uh, that have set technology back, that, that they have a more advanced technology and that they're just biding their time. They're in contact with uh, the, the, the prophets and, and the, uh, the brethren. And when the Lord says, come back, they're going to come back. But they do have their prophets, uh, but their, their prophets answer to our prophets. And, you know, it's it's an extension of our church. It's it's the underground, but so they have a shortage of cows. Apparently, they need they need Maybe. our cows. Maybe. And why, and, and why are they doing? Why are they performing anal exams on rednecks? <laughs> the, <clears throat> the, those are the the, the bad ones. <laughs> the bad tribes. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So till till the level set. Uh, you know what? <laughs> what? What's what's clear? I think from Mormon theology, and we we kind of brush through it really quick is the the ten tribes are not completely dispersed. Well, they might be now, but at some point, historically, they were a real entity, and they were so real that Jesus Christ went and visited them. And they were so real that John the, the Beloved um, visited them as a kind of a 3 nephite sort of guy. And they were so real that they had a, a unique set of scriptures that that um, talked about their trials and travails, just like the Lamanites and the Nephites. We're all in agreement on those those facts, right? Sure. Yeah, that, sure. And <clears throat> what I think is interesting in the 19th century, even though the world was still a mysterious place, there was a tendency to place them in sort of this uh, extra sort of fanciful thing. 
Um, you know, Orson Pratt talks a lot about them being in the North Pole, and he talks about these hidden valleys. And we know Joseph, the, these things we talked about with the other planets and all that kind of well, stuff. Well, wait, just to, just to stop for a moment on the North thing, he, he was saying in the interview that North meant the extremities of where their maps ended. So when they went into exile, they're going off the known map that they had at that time into unknown lands. And that's what they mean by north. Uh, did I hear that correctly in the interview? Wait. Oh, you mean what? Dr. Benite? Yes. Uh, Glenn, so, Glenn, do you remember that part he's saying when they, when they were sent north yeah, that, he, meant that they were going off the map? I, I, don't, I don't remember it being specific to north. I remember when he was talking about this, this land called Arsarath that uh, – it's a it's a combination of two words that that essentially means the furthest extremity, just some right. some place some place unknown, um, and that land Arsarath is associated with North um, in uh, Ezra. So so in all these talks we're having here, where the the tribes are in the north, what we're really saying is they're off the map. We well, don't know where they went. They went up north to unknown lands. I would accept yeah, that. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think that's common belief though. And anyway, now there are no places off the map. Well, and, and, and Mormonism reintroduces the term north and introduces it in a literal sort of way, right? If you have modern revelation where they, they're popping in the word north, um, I, I don't. it's a far stretch, although some of our friends at farms do it all the time, to argue that this modern usage from a prophet who is raised in you know upper state New York would pull off this metaphoric definition from 2,500 years ago. I don't think that's fair. If, if Joseph Smith's having revelation, here's the word north, then there, there, there must be something about the word north. Um, and, you know, and, the, and we have this whole series of brethren um, from the pulpit talking about them coming down out of the north and talking about ice and polar caps and the North Pole. Yeah, here's Joseph F. Smith, who specifically says the North Pole. Hmm. And, and I oh, wait, think Orson Pratt. Yeah, Orson Pratt led to a land in the neighborhood of the North Pole. <laughs> Was this in the Seer? Millennial <laughs> Star, 1867. Okay. And and when you know you've got in popular Mormon culture in 1903, there's a guy named uh, Lindelof who wrote a book about the lost tribes being discovered in the North Pole, and it's this kind of like journey adventure book. I haven't read it, but I'm I'm dying to. Where <laughs> they go up and and there's a king and a queen and and you know they've had their troubles, but it's all based in the North Pole. So. And and even what uh, John and I referenced earlier, this uh, cruise to go up to the, you know, exploration, try to find the opening to the hollow earth up in the north. I mean, this was 2006, 2007 that people were, were saying this. So there's there's clearly in the popular imagination within the church this idea that I, I still think is alive, but probably not as much as it used to be, that the, the tribes are somewhere in the north and that when they return – you know, the uh, global warming is going to melt the ice caps and volcanoes are going to explode and, and you're going to see, okay, the ice is going to break away just like it says in the DNC and, and here they come. They'll, and maybe it'll be a, a discovery of people, but I, I think there's still that belief out there. Well, and um, okay. go ahead, Tom. I was I was just going to ask a, a different question in, in relation to all this. The importance of the bloodline um, – I, I've, I've heard that it's very, very important, you know, that that's what you're descended from. I mean, the patriarchal blessing, you're from Ephraim or Manasseh. I even heard uh, somebody on my mission said they were from the tribe of Levi. And everybody thought that was cool, you know, like getting his autograph. Who? Well, I don't know. <laughs> but, well, let's uh, you know what your job is in the kingdom. Yeah. Well, I, every, well, okay, Mike, maybe that's what you thought. But at the time, everybody thought that, the patriarchs were actually telling you what your direct bloodline was, your heritage. Right, right. right. If, you, if you're part of that tribe, you have a job in the kingdom. So well, Ephraim's supposed to be the gatherers. Well, and I, and and I Le also Levi sets up the chairs. <laughs> <laughs> they automatically get also, to be bishops. <laughs> but I also remember um, a controversial yeah, right. thing back when I was in when I was young. There was a the parents were both of the tribe of Ephraim, and then they had a son or a daughter or something like that that was from the, a different tribe. I don't remember what it was. And everybody thought that, oh, crap, something's wrong. Maybe the, maybe the child was um, not really Mixed there. Mixed up at the hospital. Yeah, something like that. 
Yeah, because really, they really they used to that. really think yeah. that they were the um the literal bloodline from what the do you ten mean tribes. Used to you guys are all talking used to because you're all former Mormons. No, uh, I'm but... saying used to because I I don't know I have I have from Orson Pratt where he says that it's very important that that they not be so amalgamated as to lose all distinction of tribes, but each family will know the particular tribe to which it belongs, and thus the whole nation the whole nation will be able to classify themselves into ten distinct divisions. Because the bloodline is important, because if, if we want to go with Mike's theory that they're amongst us, then the bloodline is not so important, right? Right. Then, then you want the theory that Mike has that it's just your job. No, the bloodline is important so they know that you're part of that, that covenant God made with Abraham, that you're tied in, that you have promises made to you and your family to be part of the kingdom of, of Christ. That's transferred through blood? Well, it, it's if you're of lineage and you can say, I can trace myself back to Abraham, you know the promises made to Abraham are made to you too. And so you know that you have that tie to Christ. Well, how in the world would you know? Because you just said that, you know, it isn't... Well, that's why we get patriarchal blessings, so that I know, you can but... know you're part of this tribe and you're part of that covenant God made with Abraham. But in seminary, we were taught that that was figurative, like you said, that that was, you know, your, your kind of your job title in the church. And that we were kind of um, adopted in. That's Well, that's when, you, were, when you and John went to the temple and were sealed, was that a figurative or was that a literal sealing? Uh, there was there was no there's no wax involved. Uh, so. um, I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least not. No, not you're literally time. sealed together as long as you honor that covenant. God will keep you together throughout time and all eternity. Okay, Mike, you're taking a re rather literalist view, and I'm I'm only going I'm only taking this because you represent the views of a lot of people out there. But how does this reconcile with the idea in the in the Articles of Faith that man will be punished for their own sins. I mean, you're talking about a very sort of God pays attention to who, like my, the great-grandfather, my great-grandfather, my great-grandfather, 40 generations back was, and that's important to God as to whether or not I receive the priesthood. How do we reconcile that with the basic view of you're, you're only being punished for your own sins? Well, here's the thing. When you were sealed to Zilpha, God renewed that same promise that he will take care of your children and ensure that they, the gospel is made available to them and all the promises made to Abraham will be made to your children too. That, that, that's why it's the new oh, and so everlasting you're, you're, covenant. It's okay, renewed every it. time you're, you're, the, the covenant is entered into. Mike, I agree with you, but isn't that a very anti-Christian message? I mean, isn't the, mes isn't the message... Very exclusive. Yeah, I mean, why, why would it matter to, to my great-great-grandchildren what Zilpha and I did in the temple that day? Shouldn't they be judged for their own behaviors? Shouldn't they accept Jesus Christ or reject Jesus Christ on their own merits? No, see, when the Book of Mormon came out, it has, it has two purposes. Uh, one is, to, let's see, which is to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel what great things the Lord had done to your fathers, and that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they are not cast out forever. That's one. But, the second one is that they know who Christ is. That, okay, well, that's so the one message of the, main, the Lamanites, right? The message to the, the Lamanites? Yes, that they know the covenants that were made for their fathers. So that's the whole hearts of your fathers turning to the children and the children turning to the fathers. You want the covenants they had, and you want the covenants for your children as well. If you worship Christ, you worship him in the sense that you make a covenant with him to carry his name and bear his name and, be, and, be, and honor your God by your actions. That, that when you bring people to Christ, you bring them to the covenant, and that's this whole tribal thing. That's why these tribes are so important, so that you know that you're bound to God through the promises he's made. So, Mike, in Mormon teachings, we are all, every human being, the literal offspring of our Father in Heaven. Spiritually, yes. Based on what you're saying, does God is God more concerned about the well-being spiritually of some of those children more than others based on their ancestry? Well, he, what, what you're doing is Christ has been the one whose name we're supposed to be tied to. And so all of us are meant to take on the name of Christ and, and bear that name and show the great things God has done. So God works through his people who are willing to make covenants with him. That's why all these missionaries are sent out. Come into the covenant. Get yourself in the name. Receive the blessings that are there for you. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why we do these patriarchal blessings. God works through his covenant people, the ones that are willing to take upon his name and, and bear his burden. 
Wait, the covenant was with, with Abraham. No, not no, with... no it, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. What? Well, not, not anymore. What do you mean not anymore? It's the same. It's the, it's the everlasting covenant. It's the one that we've always worked with. It's the one we've... You I've mean changed. like Mormons or... Because well, I don't think Christ, Christians were. When Christ with that. assigned the apostles, Christ told the apostles, go out and baptize everyone. Get my name on them. Okay, that, that's the whole purpose behind Christ is bring them into the covenant. Tie my name to them that I can bless them. And, and the Abrahamic covenant is just an extension of that. You, you, you tie that name of Christ to your family and, and get part of that covenant. I, I think I think you're representing um, a traditional more old-fashioned view in Mormonism that I think, frankly, a lot of Mormons, like our liberal friends here on the podcast today, would, would cringe at, Mike. Uh, Yay th- for liberals. Th- th- I'm that, reading that, off the title page of the Book of Mormon. I understand. First page. You I, open the book, I, I, there I, it is. I'm not saying you're making covenant. stuff up, Mike. I'm, 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 I'm with you, brother. Um, but what I'm saying is I think the church has moved away from that, which kind of is the whole crux of this Ten Tribes issue. The whole thing just today in the modern era sounds so silly. The whole thing is just it just doesn't make any sense at all. Why why does it matter? Why does it matter if 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 that this certain group of people is in is in a place that that God preserved? It just with the gospel as as it's taught by the church today from conference, none of this makes sense at all. Well, John, let, let me let me give you an example of where it does matter and it does make sense and you know, I I, I'm living in in Japan, right? And none of the people around me, you know, with very few exceptions, are are Christian. You know, they they all come out of this Buddhist Shinto tradition. That they're they're not Western culture at all. They have their own morals, they have their own ethics. But when you have somebody join the church, and they start to learn the the Mormon way of seeing the world, they see themselves as being outside of that. You know, if, if you start defining the world um, through the Abrahamic covenant, everybody in this country is outside of it. You know, sorry, you missed out on the party. You you have to rely on those of us who have the truth to, you know, get you to where you want to go. Well, when, when the, the members join the church here and they get their patriarchal blessing and it tells them that they're of the tribe of Ephraim, the, and, you know, th- there's still the same debate here. Does that mean literal or does that mean figurative? But they've got this um, belief, and, and it's not, you know, why? It's not that every member of the ch- church <clears throat> believes this, but there's this belief that floats around out there that the Japanese are the lost tribes of Israel and that when this group of, of lost tribes left uh, Assyria, they traveled across to uh, Japan and they settled in in Japan and and people look at the customs here and but then they they went apostate and now what the mormons are doing the missionary work is reclaiming them and re- restoring what was once lost and so the the members that see that and accept that as part of their identity it has tremendous personal meaning because god hasn't forgot them that they do fit, you know, Zilpha mentioned at the beginning when we were talking how important it is to try and find yourself, locate yourself in this overall narrative. So you, you, you've got this, the Japanese members feel it, the, the Japanese missionaries that are over here doing the missionary work, they feel, yeah, I'm doing God's work. I'm uh, restoring what was lost. That's what Mormonism does. A lot of the ones a, you talked to. Restoration. Yeah. About two-thirds of them are Manasseh in Japan, right? What, Tom, did you find that? I don't um, think so. I think there's a lot of Ephraim. Tom, did you yeah, find Tom. the breakdown of the percentage of tribes like you were talking about? No, I I don't have the percentage. No. Oh, because you were talking about the the um like in the Polynesia. Oh, that that was me. Oh, sorry, yeah, so that, sorry. That's what did I was you... saying. According to the list, I have about two thirds of the people in Japan are from Manasseh. Oh, okay. You've got the list. Yeah, Zilpha, yeah. don't mix me and I'm Mike sorry, up ever I'm sorry. again. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Uh, you know, that's that's funny. You mentioned that, Glenn. Like I say, um, with the Southeast Asians, that sort of mythos was there also. But what's what's fascinating is to return to my point. That's not what you'll hear from the pulpit. It's not what you'll read in the ensign. But there is this subtext. This this almost. Um, 
you know, whisper campaign underneath that gives people identity that way, but you'll not hear it from the church, because from the church's view, the way they, they, they position themselves today, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're all children of our Father in Heaven. We're all equal participants. You know, there's nobody anymore, at least not in the last 30 years, who's excluded based on their race or their heritage or their color or their skin. But I agree with Glenn. I, I don't know. That when, as a... when they come over and they dedicate temples and they dedicate, you know, like when they're on local soil and and they're speaking to a, a con- even if it's the general authorities, I, I, I'd need to get some sources on this. But I would imagine that they still say things like this. I would bet they do because it, it, it gives the, the people a good feeling and and that's yeah. what they want to bring to the people is a good feeling. Well, I, I guess it's very much sort of like what goes on in South America. You know, the the guys from farms and the apologists will try to very much minimize the idea that all South Americans are Lamanites. But in the South American countries, that message is loud and clear, and it shows up in the dedicatory prayers. And right. it's, it's a, and, you know, all through Polynesia, that's the common belief. And members, from what I'm told, take a great deal of identity from the fact that they are literal descendants of the Nephites and Lamanites. Yeah, I guess that says it all. Thanks for thanks for playing. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, well, the, the only. Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. I was just say the whole point of this is is that we're going to tie the family together. We're all part of that family, and God doesn't receive honor and glory until we say we've put to to the test the things you've taught us, and it works. And we are bound together as a family because of what you taught us. And then you give glory to God because his whole family is tied together and exalted. But still, that- I, I always think it's ridiculous, Mike, when we put these conditional limits on God, you know, that he doesn't get his glory until we do our thing. Well, that, what, that just, how, how, how does God receive glory? If God's teachings don't work, then how does he get glory? If we put he to, to the test the things he taught us, yes, but we glorify him by being exalted ourselves. That gives glory to God. We've done what you said, and look what happened to us. Does he need more glory? Well, that's his work and his glory, to bring us exaltation. He says so in the scriptures. This is my work and my glory, to bring to pass the immortality and exaltation of man. This is what gives God glory, is that when his teachings affect us and we're exalted by it. And then so we I guess he's, he's not quite omnipotent then. Well, yeah. He, well, he, he he relies on us to get some of that power. He can't do it himself. Yeah, I hope next yep. time around, uh, my God is not so emotionally needy as the one we have right now. <laughs> I don't understand. You mean what when you're, you're reincarnated? What do you mean the next time around? <laughs> you know, ne- next time. Next world. <laughs> emotionally needy. I don't yeah. get that at all. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Okay. This, this is this is this is just a small piece of advice mike uh, you can take it or leave it i think i think it would be helpful if if you would just not uh present your your opinion as absolute in fact it is even a, it is absolute well yeah, your opinion okay. it's your definitely your opinion well e- even w- even with the uh 10 tribes i mean even within mormonism like we've already discussed there's plenty of faithful believing lds members that do think that you know, they're down in the core of the earth or they're on some planet somewhere else. Um, your opinion differs with them, but they still have a temple recommend with the barcode and everything, just like you do. So, And they probably have might... more scriptural um, backup than, than yours does. <laughs> and so do I, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Tom, you think Mike ought to, ought to say his uh, opinions as opinions rather than facts? Yeah, instead of, I don't, yeah, facts force-feeding it and presenting it as absolute truth. It, it, when it comes to stuff like this, Mike, I, these are just these are just opinions. I mean, you're not going to get your recommend yanked and stuff like that. <laughs> there's too many differing opinions. And, and yes, there's plenty of people that, like uh, Dr. Benite said, the majority opinion is, is this is all just mumbo-jumbo, this whole 10 types thing. So Yeah, he sounded real faithful. <laughs> I, li- I like what he said. What was the quote? Um when faith, when sight, when faith, hold on, I want to run and get it because I want to reiterate it. While you're finding that, I just wanted to make the point that when you look at Isaiah's language, this highway and the waters and stuff, that the water refers to the gospel being taught. And so, according, when you, when you to, talk, according, according to Mike, according to Isaiah, 
Oh, when ready? Is that is okay. that like the in the book of Revelations, the waters that come out, is that the same? Right. Because I heard if that before, like the waters is a symbol of the gospel being taught to people. I've yeah, you compared compare DNC 133 to Isaiah 35. And Isaiah 35 explains that the, the waters are the gospel. Yeah. Go ahead, Zofa. Oh, um, well, he, he said, and I think this speaks to um, Mormonism in particular because we have uh, modern revelation. And, and I think this comes up a lot. When faith clashes with science, sometimes you need a new revelation. Yeah. To make it work. <laughs> I and remember that's that. true. That, was a that good really, thing. that or, really or, is. Or, a you good... need, or you need a new prophet or go in a different direction. Yeah. Right. That was, that was good. And I really liked what he said at the end of the interview when, when I talked to him about the, uh, you know, the North Star thing and Joseph pointing out into space. And he said that's, that sounded exactly what he would expect from a prophet. You know, he didn't put it down. He just said that, that a, a prophet is uh, very poetic, they, they speak figuratively. And they speak about things that are outside of the realm of of understanding. So it, it made perfect sense to him. And I, I think, you know, in, in his own faithless Mike way, he <laughs> he, he, he did kind of leave the interview open that Joseph Smith might have been onto something. That there's there's this um, river called the Sambadion River that it, you know, this is really outside of, of Mormon. Uh, stories about the uh, uh, the lost tribes, but the Samba the Sambadion is the river that separates the lost tribes from the rest of the world. And uh, Dr. Benite goes into the etymology of Sam Sambadion, and he thinks that it uh, has to do with the planet Saturn, which also meant the end of things. You know, like uh, Saturday is the end of the the week, and so he thought that Sambadion was symbolic of being someplace out in space as far as you could get from anywhere else. You know, like the planet Saturn would have been the fringe of the galaxy at that point. So he, he says if Joseph Smith somehow understood that even anciently people believed that the Lost Tribes were in the outer outer space, he, he either came across this uh, by accident or he really knew what was going on. So, that was a really good part of the interview. That was, I like that part. Yeah. That was good. I, I, I imagine you would. <laughs> Glenn? Well, it'd be, it'd be interesting to find out if one of, the, one of these lost tribes did remain faithful and were translated, because that, that would make sense out of a lot of that stuff. That, that would be awesome. That would indeed be interesting. <laughs> Glenn, you have, a farms, you have a farms article with your name on it. I can, I can hear, feel coming out of this one. I have a what? Uh, a, farms a farms article. All right. Um, oh, um, you know, I, I think, you know, to sum it all up, I think in the modern church, most people would take this stuff as very metaphoric, but there are those out there, a la my father-in-law, who take it very literal, and it's, it's still there in the church. And I think it is a problem for the church, because it is something that was sort of a metaphorical fringe teaching that Joseph made concrete. And you know, here I got the the 10th um, article of faith in front of me. We believe in the literal, literal gathering of Israel and in the restoration of the 10 tribes. The Zion, the New Jerusalem, will be built upon the American continent. And that's something we didn't even go into, that it's a necessary teaching. Not only are the 10 tribes going to be restored, but they're going to be restored to the United States as, yeah. opposed, to, um, as opposed to Israel. We didn't get much into that. But so I, I, I think it, um, it, it's, it's sort of, for me, it's symbolic of the whole relationship and the problem that Mormonism has as it, as it grows up and gets older and tries to negotiate itself with the rest of the world, that there's many things in the Christian world and the Bible that can easily move inside and outside that literal and metaphoric world. But because of the way it was framed by early church apostles, Mormonism is bound to that, and we have to oftentimes ignore and hide and um, contextualize via people like farms all this old stuff to make it sound like um, it, it wasn't there. So. I think Mormonism still has some growing up to do that way, and I think this whole thing sort of hints at that, where the Ten Tribes, if you take the the, 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 the old prophets, it has to be literal and it has to be real, and the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants both hinge on them being an actual physical people in some place. John, do, do you do you connect this at all to the, the signs of the times and get, you know, the, the way that people are kind of moving away from, you know, looking at signs of the times? You think that's happening? Yeah, you know, um, 
I think you and I were talking a few weeks ago about um, the the Cold War and 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 how literal a lot of that stuff was growing up. And I, I don't know. I don't know if it's me moving out of those circles or the church moving away from it, or it's the passing of the year two thousand and. You know, when when I was a kid in the seventies and eighties, two thousand was the end, man. That that was it. Yeah. Hey, you I'm know. looking forward to two thousand twelve. Yeah, that's the yeah. next one. So I, I I think so. You know, as I did, I don't know about the rest of you, but as I did research into this, ten tribes, it, most of the writing was very much connected with um, writing on prophecies and end times. But that's you know outside the scope of what we can talk about in this hour. Yeah. All right. Any last any last thoughts, guys? Thanks, Glenn, for coming on, bro, and getting oh, yeah. Dr. Benite. That was awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks, you guys. I, I enjoyed it. It's fun. It, it adds prestige to the podcast when we get you professor types on. <laughs> I'm, I'm an apostate professor. Oh, you can repent. Yeah, I left. <laughs> I, I, I still want to. Come he, back home. We want you. <laughs> no, no he, he means he's an apostate as a professor. He left, yeah. he left oh. academia. He still yeah, has yeah, a temple yeah. recommend. Yeah, okay. I, I'm, still a, I'm a, I'm a temple recommend holding apostate professor. <laughs> oh, I gotcha. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To those who listen to this podcast, I do want to point out there's five of us here, and three of us currently hold temple recommends. So, yeah. so there. Yeah, so we're not we're not all heathens. We disagree, but we can all go into the same holy temples, right? Yeah. Yeah. All I right. As always, the discussion continues on our website. Find us at mormonexpression.com. You can send us an email at mail at mormonexpression.com. Call us at 801-906-6722. And be sure to check us out on Facebook. Uh, our group is over there. You can search for Mormon Expression. 